take your Bibles and turn. We're going to go to two places. Um, Isaiah chapter number 9 this morning. Isaiah chapter number 9 and then Luke chapter number 2. I'm going to hold off on giving you the title of the message because I'll give that to you in a moment. But uh, I will probably give you all of the outline, but I will only be preaching the first part of the outline. Um, If the Lord will help me, maybe I continue this um, Wednesday night and then possibly even Sunday. I'm not sure. But uh, let's start reading in uh, Isaiah chapter number 9. Verse number 6, if you found your place, say amen. Verse number 6, Isaiah chapter number 9, let's read it together. It says, um, that's chapter number 6, hold on just a second. The preacher wasn't there. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. Now I'll say something about that phrase here in just a little while, but let us not overlook that. I overlook that all the time, and in the study of this this week, the Lord's kind of given me a little something. It says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Now, I know that we don't normally do this, but I want you to read those names given to Christ along with me, okay? So let's start with His name shall be called, y'all help me, Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Let's pray and then we'll read in Luke chapter 2. God, we love You. We thank You for Your blessings. We thank You for, as Brother Jody prayed, I believe it was, thank You for this season that we can magnify Your Son in His birth, His incarnation, His, um, uh, His, His body being made flesh. We thank You, Lord, for this time. We thank You, Lord, for, uh, for, for all of the things that You've done for us this year. Thank You for Your blessings that You've given to this church and to the individuals in this church, the families. Father, we thank You, Lord, for Your blessings that You've given me personally and and my family. Lord, I, I cannot I cannot get over the things that You've done for us. And God, we love You for those things. Lord, now we ask You that You'd give us a, a special visitation this morning. A visitation of Your grace. A visitation of, the, of, of a revealing of these things that we'll preach about today. And Lord, I'm not speaking of myself. I'm speaking of the church. I pray that you let it be something that they've never heard. I pray that it'll be something that'll bless them and something that can help them in this season of Christmas. We ask you now that you would have your will, have your way in our hearts and lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Luke chapter number 2, and I want to read just verse number 11. And then I'm going to challenge y'all in this while you're turning to Luke 2. I'm going to challenge you, especially you daddies, to take some time tonight or to take some time tomorrow morning and read through any of the Christmas story that you can. You find it in, in, you find a prophecy in Isaiah 7, verse 14, 
um, Isaiah 9, verse number 6 that we read. Matthew chapter number 1, the last two Sundays we've read out of there. You can read that. That's Joseph's side of the story. And then in Luke chapter number 1, uh, that is the beginning of, of the Christmas story when the angel appeared to Mary. Uh, but then in Luke chapter number 2, it carries on. You'll not find it in Mark. You'll not find it in John. So just giving you where you can read. Uh, but I encourage you uh, to take some time and to do that. I almost gathered some of our little ones down, but we're missing some of them, and I didn't want them to miss out, but almost gathered them around this morning and, and read out of Luke chapter number 2, just in case they weren't going to get it at home. Uh, but uh, God knows my heart there. But uh, I, I challenge you men to do that. If, you're, if, uh, if men, you, you, you can't do that, or maybe your home doesn't have uh, um, a daddy in it, then mamas, you pick up your Bible, you read it. Y'all agree with that? I'm not asking you to commit to it. I'm asking you, do you agree with it? Now, three of y'all said amen the second time. All right. Luke chapter number 2, verse number 11. This ought to thrill us because the angel now is speaking to these shepherds. And the angel says in Luke chapter number 2, For unto you is born this day in the city of David, listen to this, a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Isn't that a blessing? He, 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 could have, he could have said, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a man-child. He could have said a bunch of other things. He could have said a king. He could have, he could have said, but he said that this is, help me, a what? A Savior. But then he says, he didn't, Brother Lee, he didn't just say that there is a Savior that is born but it actually says who He is. This is Christ the Lord. Jesus, as, as you may learn, is, was a common name in that day. It was the same as Joshua. So there was a lot of people that maybe had the name Jesus walking around Bethlehem or Nazareth or Galilee or Jerusalem in general. But Jesus Christ, there was only one of those. Jesus, the Christ, there's only one of those. Jesus, the son of the carpenter, there's only one of those. Jesus, the son of Mary and Joseph, there's only one of those. And the angel pinpointed who this man was, this little child, this Savior. It says that this is Christ the Lord. So, as, as you may have gathered over the last several years, the names of God have intrigued me. I started in Genesis and, and kind of got bogged down in some things of Genesis, so I've not gone. But, but as we continue through Scripture, I encourage you to take note of the names of God and, and maybe even the difference of names of God and the names of Jesus Christ. And so that is kind of where my mind is today, especially since Christmas now is heavily upon us. I want to look at the names of Christ uh, in these Christmas passages. Now, I had big plans for this. I had a three-point outline, and I wanted to give you those and kind of past, present, and future uh, about this, this, uh, this Christ here but I'll probably not get that far in this, even if we make it a series. I just don't know that I'll be able to. But I do want you to know that you'll not find, in your King James Bible, you'll not find the word Christmas. 
Uh, Brother Dean mentioned this the other day, that this is the word Christ Mass. It's a, it is, whether we want to agree or not, it is a, a Catholic holiday. It's a Catholic word. And, and, and that doesn't bother me. I'm not so spiritual that I'm not going to celebrate Christmas because I like getting presents. Come on and help me right there. Uh, but I do like giving presents. I cannot wait for, especially my children and my wife, to open things that I've thought about and, and planned on and, and getting them. Uh, now, kids, I may not be that happy this year because your mama did all the Christmas buying and I don't even know what you got. But, for the most part, I will sit back and smile when they open their gifts. So, you, you, can, you can finagle with, with Christmas and its commercialism and all that kind of stuff if you want to. Um, but I, I do want to focus on Christ. And as such, I want to preach on this thought this morning. Christ of Christmas, or the Christ of Christmas. You'll not find the word Christmas in your Bible, but you'll... You'll also not find uh, the Christmas celebration in the Bible. You'll not find people gathering as families at a certain time of the year and and having meals and eggnog and all. They won't find those things. I've never had it. My that my thoughts exactly. I've never had eggnog and ain't planning on doing it. But one thing that you will find, and this is not in the message, but you will find as you continue to read you'll find that those wise men came, and I'll go ahead and help you here. This, this, Jesus was probably two years old when those wise men came. But they, they did something that we still do today, and that is the giving of gifts. Several years ago, I preached about those gifts, and I told you about the gold and the frankincense and the myrrh. really thought about preaching that again this season, but just couldn't get any peace about that. But there's something about each one of those, Brother uh, Buster, that was specific not only to Christ, but it was specific for his life and his death. These were not three wise men that stopped by Target or Walmart and got some perfume and some little little doodads and some trinkets to give to Jesus. These were men that, that their thoughts were on a Savior. Their thoughts were on the Deliverer of the world. And they helped Him in His life. The gold helped Him in His life. The gold was a picture of His own purity. The myrrh and the frankincense were both used in uh, anointing or not necessarily embalming, but preparing a body for, for death. And for burial, to get myrrh and to get frankincense, you have to go into dangerous territories. I believe it's frankincense. There are puff adders all around the frankincense trees. And you literally take your life into your own hands when you go to harvest frankincense. And so these were not just haphazard gifts. In our time, we still celebrate Christmas by giving of gifts. But there was a gift given to us, and that is Christ. And so if you'll bear with me this morning, I want to preach on the thought, the Christ of Christmas. And um, I, number one, I'll give you the other two points, but number one is Christ promised. 
And then I want you to number two and leave you plenty of space for all these notes and point number one. But then Christ provided and then lastly, Christ presented. And we find those out of Luke chapter number two. But number one, I want us to go back to the book of Isaiah. Y'all with me on this Christmas Eve morning? Now, I didn't come. I know this sounds silly, maybe cliche. I did not come to get out. I came to get in. And, and I'm not being mean, and, and I'm not being rude or obnoxious, but I'm here to tell you, if you're bored, then I'm going to see that. I'm going to get in the flesh, so get up and leave now. But if you want to get something from God's Word about Jesus Christ, then sit there, get off your phones, sit up straight, hold your Bible, and say amen when I ask you to say amen. Amen? Amen. So, this morning, I want us to look back at chapter number 9 of Isaiah, and, or chapter 7, rather, of Isaiah, and we want to pull out one name of Christ, is verse number 14. Isaiah, he's talking to Ahaz, or about Ahaz, which was a wicked king, and uh, right in the middle of this conversation, he gives us what has become a prophecy of Jesus Christ, and he says in verse 14 of Isaiah 7, Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Now we know over in Matthew chapter number 2 that um, Mary and Joseph were given that message to call his name Jesus, but then also Emmanuel, which is being interpreted here and there, it is God with us. And so I want to kind of deep dive into this first name that we find in the prophecy. As far as I can tell, direct prophecies, this is probably the first. Now, we can go back to Genesis chapter number 3, and we can talk about the son uh, that is going to bruise the head and, and all of those things, uh, or bruise the heel and bruise the head. Uh, and those those are prophecies, I believe, of Christ coming and, and Him uh, uh, defeating Satan. But as far as the language that there is coming a child, there is coming a son, a virgin shall conceive, it's going to start here in chapter number 7 of Isaiah and verse number 14. And so, Emmanuel here, uh, it means God with us. One writer says that He is with us to protect us and to save us. In, um, in another writer's words, he says that, that I told you about these, these names of God. And we find Elohim and El Shaddai and, and some other names of, or just El, and that means God. And so we find here Emmanuel, and I never noticed this, but it is two words put together, and it is Emmanuel, uh, which means with us is, and then El, which is God. So we could say it like this, with us is God. In our English language, we, we can't make our, ourselves uh, do that because it's kind of backwards, like you're talking like Yoda or somebody that watches Star Wars. Say amen. Don't say amen right there because we know who you are. But English folks say God is with us. And I say English folks, and we understand that's the way it's translated in the New Testament. He's told, we are told in Matthew, Brother Jody, that Emmanuel is God 
with us. And so that just kind of gives you an insight of the word Emmanuel. Isaiah chapter number 8, verse number uh, 8 through 10, you could read that. But verse number 10, kind of paraphrase, says this. He says, devise a plan, and but it shall come to naught. Speak a word, and it shall not stand. For God is with us. And so this this phrase, God is with us, or God is for us, or God is here, it is nothing new in Scripture. Uh, we find in Ezekiel chapter number 48, verse number 35, it says, The Lord is there. Now, y'all listen to me. What Y'all help me. What does Emmanuel mean? God is with us. So if we are in this place, what does that mean? God is where? Here. God is here. So in Ezekiel chapter 48, verse number 35, he says, the Lord is there. And that is the word or the phrase Jehovah Shammah, which means um, the Lord is there. Okay. So we think about the Lord is there in these prophecies. We find that the name God uh, Jehovah Shammah means the Lord is there. He's at a certain place at a certain time. But now we find Emmanuel in uh, Isaiah chapter 7 and in Matthew chapter number 2, it does not say that God is there. The Bible says that God is here. What does is mean? What does is mean? The perpetual present Tense. So, Rachel, no matter where I am, God is here. No matter when I am, God is here. And so, the first name we find about this Christ of Christmas is Emmanuel, and it means that God is here. God is with us. He is not going to be with us. He was not with us. He is with us this morning. Uh, we think about, um, uh, as we look at the contrast there in Ezekiel and Isaiah, I wrote this down this morning, there will come a day, if we had our mind in this idea of prophecy, there will come a day when God will not be distant or in some secret place. But I can imagine as Isaiah wrote the word Emmanuel, but He will be with you. In John chapter number 1, verse number 14, this is a New Testament fulfillment. It says, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. What does John say? God is with us. He put on flesh. He adorned Himself in flesh. He was made flesh and He dwelt among us. Matthew chapter number 28, verse 19 and 20. Jesus is speaking, Go ye therefore, teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things, whatsoever I commanded thee, or you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. And I love this, because if you're reading in your Bible, you should find red letters until the word world. And then all of a sudden, Matthew puts on a black-lettered Amen. And so Matthew, uh, which was one of the uh, one of the disciples that he walked and he talked with him, he says, "I'm about to have a fit." That's where, what that word "Amen" means right there. He said, "I'm about to run." That's what he said because Jesus says, "I am with you always, even unto the end of the world." What happened here is Matthew realized God is with us. And no matter where, and no matter when, God is with us. So he says, Amen. 
Uh, Hebrews chapter number 13, verse number 5. This goes back to Deuteronomy. It's a New Testament quotation of Deuteronomy. He said, let your conversation be without covetous and be content with such things as you have. Here's that quote. For he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Isaiah said that he, God, is with us. His name is Emmanuel. And Jesus says, Moses wrote it down in Deuteronomy, uh, but Jesus... Jesus says here in uh, Hebrews chapter 13, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Know what it means? God is with us. God is with us. One writer said this, and y'all need to write this down and look it up and have your own self a fit. I'm going to give you a second to get your pen ready. Law declares that God is against us. You can read Romans chapter 3, verse 19 and verse number 20. Law declares that God is against us. Grace declares that God is with us. You look at Romans chapter number 3 and you find that there's judgment. There's judgment. There's judgment because of the law. But you start looking in Luke chapter number 2 and verse number 10 and verse number 11. I think I still have it over here. He says, the angel said, fear not. Up until then, we'd been fearful because as soon as we sinned, we had to sacrifice. Up until then, we were doomed by death unless we sacrificed, unless we appeased the judgment of God. Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy. I'm bringing you the gospel and it's great joy, he says, which shall be to all people. I'm glad that it's not just for a select few. I'm glad it did not may, uh, reta- uh, be retained over in Jerusalem. But I'm glad that that gospel was carried by Paul and others all over the world. I'm glad that somehow or another it ended up on this continent. I'm glad that it ended up in Palatka, Florida. I'm glad that it ended up in this old boy's heart. I'm glad this evening or this morning uh, that the gospel is here in America today. I'm thankful today that the good news is for all people today. He went on in verse, I don't turn the page, went in verse number 11. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. So the law declares that God is against us, but grace declares that God is with us. Next we find, we're still on number one, Christ promised now we, we find next is the word in Isaiah chapter number 9, the word wonderful. I'm going to try to go as fast as I can here so y'all help me. Wonderful. I, you know, I say that all the time, and I can't help but to wonder what you think when I say that. How am I going to help him hurry up? Because I'll be honest, when you say amen, it makes me want to keep going. But when you don't, it makes me want to keep going. So I really don't know how to answer that question. I don't know. Maybe get up and start leaving and I'll figure it out. Please don't do that. We find wonderful. Notice what it says. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful. Herbert Lockyer said this. He said the adjective. We're talking about the word wonderful. The adjective meaning marvelous. Or astonishing becomes a noun. It is no longer explaining the character or the traits of an individual. 
but his name shall be called wonderful. Now, this is not talking. If, 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 we're, if we're not careful, Kurt, we'll say, well, his name is Jesus and that name is wonderful. It is, but that's not what it says. His name shall be called wonderful. When we get to heaven, you know, I can't remember people's names, so I just make folks up, make names up. But when we get to heaven, we can call him Emmanuel. We can call him Jesus. We can call him Christ. We can call him wonderful. We can call him everlasting father. We can call him prince of peace, the son of God, the son of David. We could call him all kinds of things, and every one of them are true. But here we find that his name shall be called wonderful. So the adjective has become a noun. And this is a name that, or a name is often a synonym for the nature of an object. So wonderful is a fitting name for him based upon the fact that he must prove it by his life and his death. His name is wonderful. We can talk individually and collectively about the name of God. And we could talk about this name, Wonderful. We could discuss how wonderful He is. I myself testified a moment ago because God has shown Himself as wonderful. But in doing that, He not only showed His traits of being wonderful, He showed Himself as wonderful. He walked into the room and He said, Wonderful is here. You see, this is a name of Christ. And his name shall be called wonderful. Next is the word counselor. His name shall be called wonderful. Counselor. The mighty God. Listen to this. Scripture. I could probably ask my wife to quote a verse. And she would quote it off the top of her head. Psalm 1.1. I'm not going to ask you to do it. So. But Psalm 1-1, Isaiah 47, verse 13, Proverbs eleven fourteen. they all talk about counsel. So the word counselor, the idea of counseling, the thought of seeking counsel is not new in Scripture. Matter of fact, it has much to say about this. In Proverbs eleven fourteen, 14, Solomon says, Where no counsel is, the people fall. But in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. Isaiah 47, 13, at the very end of the verse, it says, They were wearied in the multitude of thy counsels. Psalm 1, 1, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. Christ, however, though, he stands out as the counselor. Not as one of many, but as the only counselor. The only one we will ever need. Now, again, the, the, the Scripture teaches us that we should surround ourselves with a multitude of counselors. He tells us that we should abstain from false counselor, wicked counsel, which means on the flop side of that, uh, we should find good, godly counsel. But Christ is, His name shall be called Counselor. And so not only is he a counselor, but he is 
Counselor. And so in this, we look at Isaiah 25, 1. Oh Lord, Thou art my God, I will exalt Thee, I will praise Thee, for Thou hast done wonderful things. Thy counsels of old are faithful and truth. Ephesians 1, 11. In whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of Him who worketh all things after the counsel of His own will. Uh, in Hebrews 6, verse 17. Wherein God, willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise the immutability of His counsel, confirmed it by an oath. You continue to read there in Hebrews chapter number 6. I almost put it in here. But this oath, this oath that it's talking about, the immutability, immutability, that word that I said, immutability of His counsel, it is found in Christ. So every word that God said is backed up by His own Son. But yet His Son is backed up by God's own words. And you make sense of that, you let me know. But I believe what the Word of God says, and so I'm just going to go with it. Because of sin and unbelief and how that they've warped the mind of man, uh, man is in constant need of guidance and advice from above. But what a relief it is this morning to know that our one counselor is not just able to answer our questions and to solve the riddles and to relieve our perplexity. He cannot, he does not only answer them, but he is the answer. His name shall be called Counselor. Then it says Mighty God. And again, this is not a new name of, of deity. This idea, this phrase, the mighty God, it has been given by many writers in Scripture, but this is the first time that it is ever used in someone other than, y'all help me, y'all look up here, it is the first time ever used in relation to someone other than God Himself. I'll explain what I mean. The reason that that it is so important. One writer said that it carries so much importance among the galaxy of messianic and prophetic titles of the Lord. None is more important than the mighty God. Why? Because Moses, David, Jeremiah, Nehemiah, Habakkuk, they all spoke of God as mighty. But clearly, Isaiah here in Isaiah 7 and Isaiah chapter number 9, he is pondering this promised child, the Son of God. So Isaiah introduces him, uh, this coming Messiah, as the Son of God. He says that this is not just going to be uh, uh, someone like God. This is not going to be um, an equal with God. But this is God in the flesh. This is God's Son. Uh, he came to man and uh, He robed Himself in flesh coming with us, to be with us. Isaiah is saying that this is the mighty God. This is a, a phrase that those men and those women of that day, they were very familiar with. Again, Moses, David, up to this point, his contemporary, Jeremiah, his um, his predecessor, Habakkuk, they all use the phrase mighty God. And it's all talking about, if I can say it like this, God the Father. But Isaiah breaks the mold and he says that there is coming a child 
child. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God. And that must have made them step back and say, wait a minute. You're telling me that someone other than God Himself carries the name of the Mighty God. And Isaiah says, yes, it is God's Son. And God is going to be with us. And God is going to be for us. And God is going to save us. And God is going to deliver us. How is He going to do it? He is going to do it as Himself, the mighty God, but as Himself in the flesh, God's Son. Next, we find the everlasting Father. The everlasting Father, one writer says that this, uh, another way to say this is the Father of His country. There was an, an illustration given in the Roman days when, when maybe a particular soldier, uh, he had a, 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 a great battle that he won. As he was recognized for that, the other soldiers would put him on their shoulders and they would march him through the city and through the land and people would, would throw beads and people would throw roses and flowers and things of that sort and they would call him their father of nations. This is essentially the most victorious man in the land. And Isaiah said that he is the everlasting father. It carries a picture back to that. And it says that he came from heaven where he had been through the eternal past. He says that Christ's age is eternity. But the glory that he, the glory that he is the Christ of all ages when the father became a child, the everlasting father became a child. So to, to finish this thought, every single one of us men, whether become a father or we don't, but those of us that are fathers, one day we will breathe our last breath. And we will go away. We will have to say goodbye to our family, our children as father. So we will breathe our last breath. Jesus Christ, He was born. He did die. He was buried. But he was risen from the grave. Sometime later, Stephen saw him standing at the right hand of God. Peter saw him in a vision. We're talking about later times. Peter saw him in a vision. John saw him in a vision of heaven. We know that he resurrected through the eye of faith because of the word of God says that He was seen above 500 people. We sing about the fact that He has risen from the grave. So what does that mean? Is that He is still everlasting. He is the everlasting Father. And then, last today at least, lastly we find that He is the Prince of Peace. You will find this in different scriptures. Matthew chapter number 2, verse number 6. I'll not read it. You can read there. But this is a prince from the line of Judah. This is a prince from the country of Judah, or Bethlehem, Epaphrata. One writer said that he was born in the most humble of circumstances, but yet he became, or he came as a king. He was the prince of peace. What kind of prince... 
or peace could this prince bring? I have no clue who said this, just wrote it down. He could bring peace of every kind. Peace outward and inward. Peace of country and conscience. Peace of temporal and eternal. He is not only the Prince of Peace, but the Prince who is peace. Peace is not only a benefit He can impart, but part of Himself. Remember, His name shall be called Prince of Peace. This is not just some benefit that He can give. He he is not just meeting out, Michael. He is not just giving peace, but He is peace. You lose a loved one here at the holiday season. Maybe some other time. The holiday season is going to be rough. Guess what? We have the Prince of Peace. Not only to give us peace during these times, but to be peace. How do Christians have so much peace during time of loss? During time of suffering? I promise you, we, we struggle. It's hard. We weep, we cry, we fret, we worry. We bite our nails. We try to figure it out on our own. But when all comes down to it, the reason that we can go beyond it and through it and above it and around it and under it and everything else is because of the Prince of Peace. Again, Not the peace that He gives, but the peace that He is. (laughs) How do Christians deal with it? It's because of who lives in us. It's because of the relationship that we have with Christ. Ephesians chapter number 2, verse number 11, down through verse number 15. I'll read these. and Miss Lori, won't you come? Nathan, will you come and lead us in a song of invitation? Uh, Ephesians 2, verse 11, down through verse 15. It says, Wherefore remember that ye, being in time past Gentiles in the flesh, who were called uncircumcision by that which is called circumcision in the flesh made by hands. Verse 12, That at that time ye were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Listen to that. He says that we were strangers from the covenants of promises. We were aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. He says that we had no hope and we were... Did you catch that? We were... We. I'm going to say it one more time. I need some more head shaking. We were without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus. Not because of Christ Jesus, though that is true. But now we are in Christ Jesus. He says, I am the vine and you are the, I am the, uh, the, vine and you are the branches. So we are in Christ Jesus. Brother Kurt during Sunday school has been talking about, I don't know what he's going to be teaching this Sunday, but Brother Kurt has been talking about the tabernacle and he and I have been going through some college courses together. And in this 
this series that he's been going through. We've just recently learned about some of this, but there's something about that candlestick that's in the tabernacle. And you have three branches, but one stem, or if I could say it, one vine. And we are all one. It is one beaten work of pure Gold. About to run, Kurt. Only me and you know what we're talking about. But it is one beaten work of pure gold. So when you remember when you got, y'all ain't married, but you remember when you got married, the preacher said that you two have become one. When Christ came into our heart and we came into Him, we too, we twain became one. And He is the vine and we are the branches. You go out to a cedar tree or an oak tree or pine tree, you'll find the vine, if you will, and Every one of those branches that are on it, they are not a part of it, but they are part of it. They are part of the, the, the vine. And he says, you were aliens. You used to have no hope. You were separated from the commonwealth of Israel. You were, with, you were without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were afar off, are made nigh by the blood of Christ. For He is our peace, who hath made, here we go, both one, and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in His flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to, for to make in Himself of twain one new man, so making peace. What did I say over there? Uh, the law declares that God is against us, but grace declares that God is with us. It is because of Christ. It is who He is. He, he was the only prince that was princely enough to be the purchaser and the procurer of our peace between God and man, between man and man, and between the Jew and the Gentile. His name shall be called the Prince of Peace. This is just kind of skimming the surface. We're just in two scriptures about Christ prophesied or Christ promised. You look at the angels when they talk to Joseph and when they talk to Mary, they both called him some names. You talk about Christ presented over there in the end of Luke chapter number two. You ought to read it. There's two old people. That they had been waiting around all of their, whoopee, they had been waiting around all of their lives for the Messiah. One old boy, Simeon, he didn't just call him Christ the Lord. He says, this is the Lord's Christ. There's something special about that one. This is the Lord's Christ. This is Jehovah's promised one. That's who the Lord's Christ is. So, Let's stand this morning. Father, we thank You for this day. We thank You, Lord, for Your blessings. Thank You, Lord, for Your love, Your mercy, Your grace. Thank You, God, for providing Your Son. Lord, I'm thankful that His name is Emmanuel and His name is Wonderful and Counselor. He is the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father and the Prince of Peace. 
Father, I thank You that He is my Savior. He is my God and my King. And Lord, without Him, I would be nothing. Without Him, without You, Lord, I'd be a were. I'd be a has-been. I'd be a never-was and never-will-be. Woo! But thank You, Lord, for sending Your Son and allowing that good news to come to me one day 31 years ago. God, I thank You, Lord, for sending Your Son 2,000 years ago. But I'm glad that that angel and that message still lives on today. Lord, if there's somebody that's never had a relationship with this Prince of Peace or this everlasting Father, this wonderful, this Counselor, this mighty God, or this Emmanuel, Father, we pray that You draw them gently but mightily to You. God, we ask You today that You draw to You. Lord, Christmas is not just a commercialized thing where we celebrate men and we celebrate things and where we go into debt and we do all the things and we cook and we worry and we fret. But God, is it a time that we set aside to worship how Your Son coming and living among men and dying for all mankind. God, we thank You for it today. We praise You, Lord. We ask You now that You'd help us. Let us realize that Christmas... It's not just a word. There is Christ in Christmas. Let us always remember it, Lord. We thank You in Jesus' name.